Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. For the nation of Israel, tourism has become a major source of income. Over three and a half million people head there each and every year. Billions of dollars are spent in Israel on tourism. But on a tour bus not too long ago, there was a little bit of surprise. Some things, some things don't always go as they're planned. As the tour bus was making its way through the countryside of Israel, the tour guide on board, he was explaining the scenery and the history and the lifestyle of the people. And this tour guide, he was giving a heartwarming description of the ancient shepherd and sheep relationship. And he was explaining and going on and on about how the shepherd builds a relationship with his sheep and how he feeds them and how he gently loves them and cares for them. And he pointed out that the shepherd doesn't drive the sheep, but he leads them. And that the shepherd does not need to be harsh with them because they hear his voice and they follow but then this tour guide noticed that he had lost his audience. They weren't paying attention to a thing he was saying. They were all staring out this window at a guy not leading his sheep, just like he had described. This guy was outside the window chasing the sheep, just running after them. And he was throwing rocks at them and whacking them with sticks and sending his dogs after them. Well, this completely ruined everything. The tour guide had been telling the people. The tour guide was actually so upset by this, he jumped off the bus, he ran into the field, and he screamed at the man, do you understand what you've just done to me? I was spinning a charming story about the gentle ways of shepherds, and here you are mistreating and assaulting these sheep. This man in the field, he was just a little bit confused by this. He didn't know what to make of this. But then the light dawned on him as he told the tour guide, Man, you've got me all wrong. I'm not a shepherd. I'm a butcher. <laughs> True story. True story. Now, maybe you've been in a church where the pastor is more like a butcher than a shepherd. I've seen plenty. In Galatians 4 this morning, we see the heart of a true shepherd because after speaking of their adoption as sons in the first part of the chapter and encouraging them to live in their identity in Jesus Christ, Paul warns them of turning away from the gospel of grace. This is the beginning of the transition from the theological arguments to the practical application of this truth. And what Paul does in this text, it's actually a beautiful text that so many people just skip right over. But what he does is he pleads with them to not turn away from God's grace. With the heart of an apostle, with the heart of a true shepherd, Paul shows his great concern for the new believers in Jesus Christ. But here's what Paul left us. He left us an example of the type of love that we should be known for within the body of Christ. 
You see, Paul was showing us how to live out grace within the church. And this grace, it should spill over to affect every relationship that we have as Christians. Here's what I'm telling you. It should improve our marriages, our friendships, how we relate to our adult children, and even the people we work with at our jobs. We are studying the book of Galatians together this morning, and so far the Apostle Paul has appealed to the heads of the first audience of this book. He's presented logical and theological arguments to prove that believers in Christ are free from the law, but now he is going directly after their hearts. He's going to appeal to them on the basis of the relationship they have with him. And the teaching he gives us this morning in Galatians, it should improve any relationship that we have. Because Paul teaches us that we are to love people just as much as we love the truth. You see, because becoming an ambassador for Christ does not just mean that we win the theological arguments. It's being used by God to set people free. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 4. We start with verse 12, where Paul starts by saying, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. Churches today have two extremes, not much middle ground. Many want to bring all the unbelievers they can into the church, and it blurs the line of distinctions. Others want to be so rigid and separate that we never even bother reaching out to the lost. Paul shows us how he did it when he first came to Galatia. Paul starts with addressing them as brethren, a key point. A reminder intended to show that the harsh words of verse 11 did not mean he had rejected them as brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, Paul tells them, hey, we have a good relationship, so be free like me, for I became like you. When Paul, as a Hebrew man, came to Galatia, he didn't expect the Gentiles to conform to him. He didn't expect the Gentiles there to take on all those Hebrew traditions in order to have a relationship with him. Instead, Paul conformed to their ways. He adapted to their ways. He lived like a Gentile. Paul would not follow the unbelievers into sin. That's not what this is saying. But he did eat their food and met them where they were at. He changed himself without demanding that they change in order for them to become friends. The Galatian Christians didn't injure him. They didn't wrong him, in other words. Meaning just this, when Paul lived among them like a Gentile without following all those Mosaic laws, the Christians didn't come back and attack him afterwards for it. They didn't have any problem with a Hebrew man living like a Gentile. See, Paul had stood up for the Gentiles. Now it was their turn to stand up for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have no doubt that they had wounded Paul with their actions, but he had not turned his back on them. Paul would later teach this in 1 Corinthians 9. He would say, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more, and to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews, to those who are without the law as without the law, that I might win those who are without the law. I have become all thanks to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul was so motivated by the love of Christ, Paul adjusted himself to the people he was trying to reach. Paul's love spoke for him. 
If we are only in the Christian faith to punch a ticket to heaven or for what we can get out of it, how the church can help us, how God can help us now in our everyday life, we're never going to reach other people for Jesus Christ like God intended. You see, I think a lot of Christians today are missing something in their lives. And to be honest, I believe that this is it. It's called service to Christ, not based on rules, but based on love. It's his love spilling out of us so that we adapt. We give up our rights. We give up our time. We give up our money. We give up our happiness and our needs to reach someone else for him. Being willing to sacrifice without demanding the other person change just for you. I remember when Johnny Erickson Tata described one of her first dates with Ken Tata, the man who is now her husband. She was concerned that he would not be able to lift her out of the wheelchair. So she lost weight to make it easier for him. But you see, Ken also had a plan. He started lifting weights just to prepare for their date, getting himself ready for her special needs. That's love. That's adjusting to the other person because of love. This is what we learn in verse 12. If you want your relationships with other people to improve, adjust yourself to them. Don't demand that they adjust to you. Now here comes the second lesson for our relationship starting in verse 13. Paul says, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Here's the teaching. Learn to accept others as they are. Receive them, welcome them, even though they are not perfect. This is how the Galatian believers received the Apostle Paul. You see, when Paul first reached Galatia, Paul had a problem. I think it's possible from the text that he had malaria. He had just come from Perga, a town near the southern coast of what is now Turkey. It's a low area. It's a swampy area, which makes a good breeding ground for those mosquitoes infected with malaria. And if this is what he had, think of how bad that that can actually get. Malaria can get pretty bad. The one who suffers with it has these waves of chills, fever, vomiting. The person is left feeling absolutely wasted, exhausted after each wave of attacks until it hits you again and again. We do know in Acts 13, 13, it says that John Mark left Paul in Perga and then he went home. Could it be that he saw Paul just throwing up all the time, so weak he couldn't even get out of bed, and he took one look at those dangerous roads ahead, and he says, enough is enough. This missionary life is not for me. I'm out of here. It's possible. But we know this. Whatever it was that Paul had, the people of Galatia, they welcomed him. When Paul left the lowlands of Perga, making his way into the mountains, the people there welcomed him as an angel of God. You see, a sick man is not impressive, is it? When someone comes trying to share Christ and they're throwing up or they're sick, that doesn't really impress you. But they didn't treat him with contempt. They didn't despise him. They didn't reject him. You know, we live in a day when leaders in the church are supposed to be tall, dark, and handsome. Good luck with that here. Paul came with a weak body and a powerful message from the living God. Do you hear me? 
Paul came with a weak body and a powerful message from the living God. I think Paul at this point was repulsive to look at because the wording of verse 14 is literally, they did not spit at him. But instead, what did they do? They opened their homes to him. They received him as an angel or messenger would be a better word. Messenger of God. That would be a better translation. They received him as a messenger of God. Those who became Christians responded to Paul just as friendly as they would have responded to Christ himself. They listened attentively to his message. They accepted him just as he was, even though he was sick, possibly deathly sick from malaria. It was something that impacted Paul. I think it left a mark on him for all the years in his ministry. Because let me tell you something that I know. It's harder to reach out and teach when you are sick. It is. But Paul did this. Accept people as they are. Learn to love people even with their imperfections. Dr. Richard Selzer, he's not with us anymore. He passed just a few years ago. But he was a surgeon and an author. And he once wrote about his encounter with this type of love. He was standing on the side of a hospital bed after an operation on a young woman. And her mouth was deformed. It was twisted. She looked, honestly, a little bit like a clown. Because during the operation, one of those tiny little facial nerves, the one to the muscles on the mouth, it had been cut. In order to get the tumor out of her cheek, they had no other choice. Her young husband was standing in the room with them. He stood on the opposite side of the hospital bed. And after seeing herself in the mirror for the very first time, as she's staring at her disfigured face, she asks, will my mouth always be like this? Yes, it will. Because the nerve was cut, the doctor tells her. She nods. She's silent. But in an instant, that young husband smiles and tells her, I like it. It's kind of cute. And with that, he bends down, twisting his lips to match her crooked face, letting her know that their kiss still works. See, I want to tell you something. That's what a man living out his love for his wife looks like. I wonder how many of us men are letting our wives know that our love for them still works, even though the years are changing us. Do your kids know that you still love them even though they disappoint us at times? Do your friends know that you're not going to abandon them even though you do stupid things sometimes and they do stupid things sometimes? Be friends with me. I do stupid things all the time and you can just laugh at it. You see, this is learning to love others unconditionally. It's the kind of love that I believe sets people free. It doesn't try to control them, manipulate them, twist them, or force them to conform them how to live how we want before we will show them any love. Learn to love with this unconditional love, the love of Jesus Christ for others. There's another lesson in verse 15. Let's read it. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That sounds painful. Verse 15 is teaching us to sacrifice for those we love. Be willing to give up the things that are most precious to us for the sake of others. This is what the Galatian believers were willing to do for Paul. And Paul was left wondering where had all the joy in their relationship gone. At one time they had freedom in Christ, but now that joy was gone. Why? 
They had desperately appreciated his ministry before. That's the meaning in the text here. That the Galatian believers had considered themselves blessed because Paul had come to them with the message of God's grace. They had received him. They had welcomed him, cared for him, accepted his message. But all that changed. They lost their joy in Jesus Christ. But that is what the legalistic teachings of men can do. It makes you feel guilty rather than loved in Jesus Christ. It makes you hate yourself rather than humble you before Christ. You see, legalism is all about performance rather than a relationship. And its focus is always on pointing on how far short we fall rather than on how far we've come because of what Christ did for us. There's a big difference there. If your joy in Christ is gone, check your focus. You see, I think the church at large today is filled with people seeking to undermine God's grace. But the problem is you can't always spot them at first. They don't wear buttons or or name tags identifying themselves as legalists, warning people to stay away. They carry Bibles. They appear to be clean living. Most of them spend a lot of time in churches. They are often respected. Many of them have big attitudes, but they kill freedom in Christ. They kill the joy that comes through Christ. They kill with their words. They kill with their attitudes because they don't really understand what it means to live in the grace of God. These are the people who always think they're a little bit better than everybody else, and their pride usually gives them away. They drive away from church thinking, I may have problems, but at least I'm not as bad as them. And as one author stated, their motto on their bumper sticker is, God is watching you, and so am I. Their view of grace is always to think that there's no other Christian in their lives that can live in sin, but yet still truly be saved. See, these people redefine grace, and I think these are the type of people that made Paul sick to his stomach. If it was malaria that plagued Paul, this often affects the eyesight. And in Paul's case, I think it may have possibly done just that. Because you remember at the end of this book, Paul would write in Galatians 6.11, he would say, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Paul wrote with large letters because, see, he couldn't see that well. But the Galatian believers would have plucked their own eyes out and given them to Paul if it would have helped. Meaning they would have made almost any sacrifice for the beloved apostle because love is willing to sacrifice for others. Your relationship with others will grow when you're willing to put the needs of others ahead of your own, giving up something for the person that you love. Isn't that how Jesus himself treated others? Isn't that how he treated us even while we were still sinners, isn't it? He gave up heaven for us. He gave up his glory for us. He gave up his life for us just so that we could be in a relationship with him. And then we speak the truth. We tell others that we care enough about them to be honest with them to tell the truth, even when it hurts. And this is what Paul did in Galatia. He saw them heading in a wrong direction that would ruin their lives, so he confronted them. Verse 16. He says some bold words. He says, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The Galatian believers didn't like what Paul had to say, but he said it anyway because he loved them. I don't think the church has changed much in 2,000 years. I really don't. People will appreciate a preacher or teacher as long as they tell them what they want to hear. Speak the truth in love, even if it hurts. 
Yes, we are called upon to accept the differences in others, but that doesn't mean we lie to people. True love is not blind. True love is not blind to the truth. It embraces the truth even when it's painful. Doesn't Proverbs 27 verse 6 teach us, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. See, watch out, in other words, when people flatter you, but a friend, a real friend, will always tell you the truth, even if it wounds you, even if it is hard, hard for you to hear. A man dialed the wrong number and he got the following voicemail greeting. It said, I'm not available right now, but I thank you for caring enough to call. I'm making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. And if I don't return your call, You're one of those changes. (laughs) This is the message that Paul was getting from the Galatian churches, I believe. There had been a change in their relationship. They no longer welcomed Paul like they used to because he taught them the freedom that comes in Christ. You see, when the truth is rejected, the messenger often gets rejected. And so Paul was telling them, hey, I'm not your enemy. I tell you the truth. That does not make me your enemy. And I think here's the teaching for us as a church. If you're not interested in the Bible or the things of God, I honestly can't help you. I really can't. If you don't ever want me to talk about things that offend you or sins that you struggle with, I can't help you. And if you think you have all the answers, I can't help you. See, I'm smart enough to know this, that no one in this room, myself included, has all the answers. But I believe that the word of God most certainly does. See, no one ever wants to hear a sermon that steps on their toes. I hate it too. I do. I can't stand it. No one ever wants to hear a sermon that speaks to their sin or disagrees with their favorite theological position. But that is precisely when the church needs to stand with those who are willing to stand up and teach the truth of Christ. Start again in the text with verse 17. Paul says, they zealously court you but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them, but it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I'm present with you. Paul was explaining to the churches that the legalists were courting the favor of the Galatian churches. They were courting them like you'd court a girl you're trying to seek, but their motives, they were no good. The legalists, of course, we've seen this many times, that they've taught that anyone who did not keep the Mosaic law was somehow a little bit less, not worthy of fellowship in the Lord. And it cut the people off from Paul and the teaching of the apostles. And one of the marks of a false teacher is that they tried to gain an audience. They tried to get people to follow them, not Christ, not his word, follow them. But a true servant of God does not use people to build himself up. He serves in love instead to help people know Christ better, to glorify Christ. You see, basically, it was like this. The legalists were control freaks. They wanted the attention of the Christians. They zealously court you, he said. But their zeal for the laws of Moses was blinding them to the freedom and grace of God. Be willing to set people free in your relationships. Don't try to control the people you love. Allow them to make their own decisions. You see, the legalists had come along trying to control the believers in Galatia. They wanted to alienate the new believers in Galatia from Paul. They wanted people to depend on them. They wanted to be the experts, but not so with Paul. He didn't care if people followed others. As long as it was for a good purpose, that's the idea of verse 18. Paul was not jealous. Paul was willing to set people 
people free in their relationships, to learn from other men centered on Jesus Christ, to learn from other men centered on grace when he could not be present with them. Paul wasn't looking for an audience. Paul didn't want people to just follow him. Ultimately, he wanted them to follow Jesus Christ. Isn't this the teaching of 1 Corinthians 11, 1, where Paul said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. It's all about Christ. You see, legalists try to control. It's based on pride. It's based on insecurity. The mature person in Christ sets people free to follow Christ. Husbands and wives, hear me. See the other person with the respect that you yourself are looking for. Don't try to manipulate your spouse. Don't try to control the other person. Grace means I will not try to force, manipulate, or judge, or attempt to control you. Just as God is looking for us to grow up in our faith, God is looking for us to grow up in our relationship with others. And then learn to suffer when we see someone that we love is suffering. Verse 19. There's an old saying about children that when they're little, they step on your toes, but when they're grown, they step on your heart. Paul suffered when the people that he loved suffered. He hurt, I believe, deep inside when they hurt. This is how Paul felt about the believers in Galatia. It hurt to think of the Galatians being led astray by teaching that was only going to put people right back into bondage and legalism. It brought Paul some real pain. Paul is saying, it feels like I'm giving birth again. Paul used the metaphor here of a childbirth. It's an interesting expression. See, the first time he labored to see them set free from sin. Now he was laboring again to see them set free from the legalistic bondage of men. Paul hurt because his children in the faith were hurting. The lesson is, when you love someone, you suffer when they go astray. These were his children in the faith. Christ was already in them, but they needed maturity in the faith. And notice the wording. It's an interesting phrase. Until Christ is formed in you. You see, Paul was looking for Christ to live through these believers. It's the same teaching as that of Galatians 2.20, where Paul had said this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul wanted them to go back to living by faith. Now he changes the metaphor here in Galatians 4 verse 19. Christ forming in them. Formed is a very interesting term if you look at the Greek. It's a medical term referring here to a life that has already been conceived but not a fully developed child. See, Paul was saying life in Christ was already there but not fully developed into maturity. It's like the old word picture of the believer in Christ being compared to a house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, you, you can understand at first what he's doing inside your house. He's getting all the drains fixed and getting that right. And he's stopping the leaks on the roof because, hey, it's a rainy season. And you knew that these jobs needed doing in your house, so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking down walls. And he's doing things in your life that don't seem to make any sense. And you ask yourself, what could he be up to? The explanation is that he is building a much different home from the one that you thought would be there. He's putting on an addition. He's putting on a second floor. He's building a beautiful courtyard. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he's building up a palace, a mansion. Christ already lives in you, believer, but God has started his work in us, and he is remodeling. 
forming in us the changes to make us a little more and more like Jesus himself. And as we grow, his life and his teaching becomes to be seen more and more each day in us because God desires to live through his people. But this could never come about by rules. It comes about by his transformation in us. And then verse 20, our final verse this morning, it's be willing to spend time with those we love. That was Paul's desire where he says this. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. Love leads us to be involved in the lives of those we care about. Paul wanted to be with his children in the faith, but he couldn't be there. Acts 15 shows us the reason why. Paul was busy fighting these same issues in Antioch. Paul was busy fighting these same issues down in Jerusalem. But in a matter of months, Paul would be with them again in Galatia. It's hard to show your love when you're not with someone. That's true in your marriage. That's true in the church. And it's true with your kids. You know that someone loves you when they want to spend time with you. I have a dog. Most of you have pets. You know when your animal follows you around constantly that they want to spend time with you. Paul didn't want to have to write this love letter to the church. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to be with his fellow believers. Paul didn't want to even have to correct them. No loving parent enjoys correcting their children. His doubt was not about their salvation. Paul's already shown that in the letter. But he was perplexed that they could so quickly turn away from God's amazing grace. I believe Paul's heart was broken because these were the very people he had led to salvation in Jesus Christ. See, Paul's great love made it impossible for him to turn back and ignore them to ignore their need. And this is the type of love that can only come from God, teaching us to keep on loving others, even when they let us down. While he was working his way through seminary, pastor and author Ed Rowell, he took a job driving a school bus for kindergartners. Now that's got to be a challenging job. And he developed a relationship, a special relationship, with one of the little young kids, a little boy named Ryan, one of his little riders on this bus. And it was a rough week on the bus, so Ed, it was Saturday, and he decided to sleep in. I do not blame him. Finally, when he got moving, he'd settled down with his first cup of coffee for the day and started to just sit back and read the news. A story caught his eye. There'd been an accident at the YMCA and a heavy piece of equipment had fallen over, and a child was killed, and it was Ryan. Well, Ed went to the Whitechapel funeral home, and he was scared because his greatest fear that he had was that he would say something that would make the kid's mom cry. He didn't want to make her cry. Here Ed was in seminary. He should have had the words to say. He should have known how to show love to grieving parents. But he was hurting himself. He was left without words. So he started to think about this. And he said in his head, just don't say anything sad. Just don't say anything stupid. He kept telling himself over and over. He looked at the body in the half-sized casket and he said, don't cry. He kept telling himself, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. You'll upset the parents. Then Ed looked up. There was no one left in the room except for Ryan's parents. He walked up to shake their hands, and he just said, I was Ryan's bus driver, he told the parents. Right away, Ryan's mom, her eyes began to glisten. So he's talking to himself in his head again. He's saying, watch it. Don't get her started. Don't go there. 
And then he told them about the day that Ryan fell asleep on the bus and had missed his stop. And they laughed over some of the things that this little boy had done. He was just a funny little kid. And Ed could see the tears welling up in everyone's eyes. And so he's still talking to himself in his head. And he said, way to go. Now you've made them all cry. And then it got worse. Ryan's mom started to speak. And then she grabbed him tight and she started shaking with those choking sobs that Ed dreaded worse than anything in the world. And to make it worse, Ed started bawling. Ed started crying like a big baby. Not just those little sobs, not those whimpers, Walter. Just those big, loud sobs, uncontrollable, messy crying. He held this young mother he had never met before and he wished he had something to say to them that would turn their attention away from him and his own tears. And then he had a thought. He had a thought run through his head. It was the truth. He thought it should be said. It sounded good until he said these words out loud. You've been there. Just remember, Ed said when they all quieted down, God knows the pain of losing a son too. And those were the words that ushered in a whole wave of grief and crying. And as soon as he could, Ed just booked it. He got out of there as fast as he could. He feared that he had poured salt on the wounds of these breaking hearts on these parents. Months went by, and again, it was another Saturday. And Ed was in seminary still, and he's nursing a stomachache that would not go away. And he's a guy, so they don't always call doctors right away. And finally, he did get around to calling a doctor who told him to go to the ER because his appendicitis was pretty bad. As Ed was on the gurney waiting for surgery, in walked Ryan's mom, carrying a needle in her hand, saying the following words, hello, bus driver. And she tightened that tourniquet around his arm, and she slipped the needle into his arm, and then listened to her words. Here's what she said. She said, I want to thank you for being there that night. I can't tell you how many times how much your words have helped us about God understanding and how those words have helped us over the past few months. And then she added this. But the fact that you cared enough to cry with us, that meant more than anything. See, we don't always know what to do when someone we love is hurting. We really don't. But I think we do know what love looks like. Sometimes that just means a gentle reminder from Scripture. Sometimes that means crying with others when it is time to cry in tears of sorrow. You know, Paul's intent in Galatians 4 it was to correct the legalistic teachings that had set in by reminding the believers of his own struggles to show them the love of Christ. And so to that end, we must each ask this question. Is our Christian life moving forward into liberty or is it moving backward into legalistic bondage? I think that's the principle here in Galatians 4. But within this text, we also see these principles. We see something more. We see Christians learning to live out grace with the people that we love. Love means that sometimes we adjust ourselves to others. Love means accepting others, accepting imperfect people into our lives, and at times sacrificing for them, even caring enough about them to tell the truth, even when it hurts. Love allows us to set people free. It teaches us to suffer when people suffer and to spend time with those that we love. Love leads us to this Christ forming in us, Christ remodeling our lives leads us to this life. It's to demonstrate God's grace in all of our relationships. And so live, Christian, with this grace-filled love because it sets people free to be all 
that God intended for them to be. And may the God of grace continue to live his life in and through each of you. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.